This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome everybody. It's so good to have you with us today. Um, we're going to wrap up the series that we've been in. It's probably related. Today, I, I want to introduce you to Pastor Dan in, in a way that I, th- I think matters to me personally. About 10 years ago, my life was literally changed when I met Pastor Dan. I, th- we were part of an organization together called the Association of Related Churches, and that year, they had decided to do some small gatherings of pastors, and I actually missed the one that was local, so I knew I was going to have to travel to go to one, so I picked somewhere. Why don't we just go to Colorado, right? Because that's, you know, let's do something fun. If I've got to travel, let's go somewhere that at least it's going to be fun to go there. And I got invited the night before the event to a dinner and got sat literally right next to Pastor Dan, and all throughout that evening, I had questions, and Pastor Dan had answers, and we were in the first year of our church plant, and there were ups and downs and challenges, and, and he was so gracious and so intentional. The next day, he came up to me and said, hey, can I get your number? I'd love to call you, and a lot of people say that, but they don't follow through with it, but he did. For the next few months, he'd call me, and hey, can you... How you doing? What's going on with your church? How's your life? How's your family? How's your marriage? And he invited me out to a trip. And, and just to be honest, he, he's been that guy to me now for over a decade. I am not the same person I was because he made that decision to pursue a relationship with me. You ever had somebody that you, you just felt like they chose you, you know? Like they, they kind of picked you out to be your friend or maybe it was a boss that hired you or maybe it was a co-worker and they brought you in. Pastor Dan has been that for me and he serves our church now, has really since almost the very beginning as one of our overseers. I have a board of pastors. I manage our staff, but our overseers help advise me and give me advice when I don't know what's going on and to be honest, our church is not the same. I'm not the same. My family is not the same. Our church is not the same because of my relationship with Pastor Dan. Today, I've invited him to come and, and kind of close out this series. And just to be, there are very few people that I would say that he can speak as long as he wants to. He can say whatever he wants to. You're gonna, I was in the first service. You're going to be blessed. So would you put your hands together and welcome my pastor, Pastor Dan Stahlbaum. Thank you, Pastor Kevin. Thank you so much. Love you too. Wow, that's humbling. Um, God's good. You know, that's really the bottom line. And I will say this, that I, a long time ago, I was a young pastor. And I was in the first, you know, year and then five years of pastoring a church. And the truth is, I didn't have anybody calling me. And... I didn't have anybody to call. And I felt like the Lord one day spoke to me through the verse where Paul was speaking. And Paul said, you have 10,000 teachers in Christ, yet one father. And I believe that 
It's one of the things that the church needs as fathers. And uh, godly, godly men, to just be your friend. Draw alongside. Uh, he said I had answers, but I certainly didn't have all the answers. Jesus has all the answers. But you know what? Just knowing that somebody's for you, they're on your side, and they want to see you, you know, make it, is just incredibly powerful. And so I made a decision uh, in, in the light of God's grace uh, to try to do that. But the truth is not everybody responds to that well. Not every young pastor wants advice or wants help. They want to, you know, they want to have you as a figurehead, as an overseer. I've been asked to be overseers of really dozens of churches, and, and I'm only the overseer at five churches because I'm not, I'm not going to do that unless there's real relationship, real love, real care. And the more I know Pastor Kevin and Amanda, the more I love them. And I'm so grateful to be here today, so grateful to be with you guys. I feel like I'm with family. I've been coming to Vortex for a long time now, and uh, it's always a privilege. It's always a blessing, and I want to thank you for your gracious welcome and that, uh, whatever you called that introduction, which a lot of that was not true, but it's, no, I'm just, yeah. I was, I was reminded of something, and I want to set the table with this thought as we get into the Word today and we finish up the series. It's probably related. And I just love this, these verses. They're in Psalms. I don't have them on the screen because I just you know, felt like the Lord was speaking to me about it earlier, the end of the second service. David, it's a Psalm of David. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. He put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and trust in the Lord. What an incredible picture. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I was pulled out of a pit. Out of the miry clay. And this is the picture I had. That when God pulls me out of this dripping, muddy pit that I'm stuck in. And I don't know, for me, I was stuck in that pit right up to here. Some of you might only be ankle deep in the problems you're in. But I was, I was into here and he set me on the rock. I just had this picture of us at miry clay ran down my body and ran onto the rock we know the rock is Christ Jesus that that mud which was really just ground up rocks began to harden filling the the holes and the gaps and the cracks and and affixing me to Jesus my Lord there's another verse in Isaiah 52 I think that says don't forget the pit you were dug from but it also says remember the rock that you were placed on and there's this balance as we go through life that, that, that we've got some family pit issues all of us do and this isn't a, a, an indictment on our parents or our brothers or anyone like that because the truth of the matter is we're all broken people living in a broken world and Jesus is doing a work in us. And the same grace that he gives me, I want to, and I want you to, 
offer that to the people in your lives. Maybe the people that fell incredibly short. In other words, they didn't do what they should have done. Or even those who did things that were unspeakable. At the foot of the cross, there is forgiveness. There's love. There's wholeness. There's restoration. I just want to encourage you with that today. With that thought in mind, just imagine for a moment you're on an airplane. You've uh, taken off. You've got up to cruising altitude. Maybe you're 36,000 feet, and you're going along, and you've got a book. You, you, I don't know if you've ever done that, but I bring something with me. I want to get into it. I might have some. I like listening to old-time 1950s and 60s podcasts and stuff like that. And so I, 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 I get in there. You might get in there. You might get your book. You might get out your iPhone, put your earplugs in, and you're getting ready to sort of get in your little airplane space and have your little airplane time. And I don't know, I like doing that. And so uh, just imagine you're doing that. But as, you, as you're getting involved there, up in first class, there's, there's a commotion. There's a disturbance. And it doesn't, it doesn't look good. But then suddenly, it calms down. And uh, they've closed the curtains up front. And word begins to drift back in the plane that your plane has been hijacked. Word also drifts back that there were three other planes also hijacked. And three of those planes have already been crashed into buildings. Killing and destroying many people. And everyone on the flight. Now suddenly, you have one hour to live. What do you do? We know Todd Beamer and his story and how they... Uh, basically uh, crashed the plane before it could arrive at its next target crashed it in the wilderness and but what did Todd do he had an hour what did he do he called his wife problem was he couldn't get through to her so he spent 30 minutes of his hour on the phone with a stranger telling her what to say to his family incredible you know Number one, what's the number one thing that's important to us? You've got an hour to live. I'm going to tell you what it is. It's relationships. You're not going to call your husband or your wife and say, don't forget to make the house payment. <laughs> You're going to try to express the gratitude of being loved, the depth of your love for them. Because relationships are so important. We're talking in this series, it's probably related I mean, they've done such a great job in the series already, going back to the patriarchs in the Bible who had family issues, that those cracks and, and fissures in their family didn't stop with them necessarily. They ran through their life. They ran through their minds. They ran through their heart. Ran through the way they handle things and the way they respond to things. We, you know, we've all been wired. My wife has a totally different family picture than I have. And I have a totally different family picture than she has. And it's almost like, it's like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a green flame and, and she's, a, she's a, a red flame. But now God wants us to come together. And what does green and red make? Orange or? Gosh, I don't have any idea. I should have known that before I came up with this example, right? Brown? Brown? Oh, yeah. That's my, that's my family side, Brown. <laughs> yeah, anyway, moving along. Um, now we've got to be the stall bombs in Jesus in a fresh 
new living way. And a lot of times we're fussing. I mean, my wife, um, their family wasn't vocal. They didn't express their love. I mean, they showed it. Carolyn's dad was an incredible man. His, his, her, her mom was an incredible woman. They, I mean, they had the, you know, idyllic family situation. I grew up with a, as a latchkey kid, and I was making my breakfast from five years old and uh, prepared my own dinner many, many, many nights because my mom and dad both worked. My sister was eight years older than me. And uh, so we've got somebody here that's, that's kind of inhibited and somebody over here that's way too uninhibited. That's me. And, and what I tried to do with all my heart is love her. And we still seem to be button heads. Can anybody relate to that? But you know, she didn't need love the way I saw it. She needed love the way she received love the way she had been given it. And so if I want to have a great night, and for you married couples, you know what I'm talking about. Um, the best thing I can do is clean the garage or wash her car. It's not stroke her hair and say kind things to her and all that. And she's just like, okay with that. But man, if I clean the garage, woo, Katie bar the door. We've got to learn to love one another the way they need to be loved. And there's a lot of stuff out there written on love languages and all that stuff. It's very valuable, very powerful. Now, the one thing that's most important is relationships. We know that from the story of Jesus and Martha and Mary. Martha and Mary are sitting at the feet of Jesus. The Bible says clearly that they're both there hearing his word. But then Martha got up and began to do the things that needed to be done and got busy and preoccupied and uh, frustrated. She was frustrated with her sister who wasn't helping. And so she went to Jesus to talk to Jesus about her sister. I just want to recommend to you, don't go to Jesus to talk about other people. That just, it's not going to turn out good for you. You're going to find out that there might be, Jesus isn't going to deal with the issue in them. He's going to deal with the issues in you. But she does, and Jesus says, now, now Martha, you're busy and preoccupied with many things. But Mary has chosen that one thing. That one thing, the most important. What is that? To be in the presence of the Lord at his feet, in relationship with him. And there is nothing that's more important than that. Todd Beamer, what did he deal with with an hour to live? Relationships. What did, what did Jesus tell Martha is most important? Relationships. In fact, Jesus, um, some of the last words he ever said. And you know, last words are important. What would you say to your children if it was the last thing you were going to say to them? What would you say to your spouse if it was the last thing? This is Jesus right before he went to the cross, John 15, 9. As a father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. I no longer no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I've made known to you. What did Jesus deal with? The relationship, most important. No matter what happens in the next 48 hours, Jesus is saying, remember, I love you. 
and remember to love me. So relationships, I'm going to kind of focus in on a guy named Joseph. Joseph had a complicated family. He was one of 12 sons. In fact, we get the name, uh, one of the names in the Bible called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob's 12 sons are called the 12 tribes of Israel. Not the 12 tribes of Jacob, which they are from Jacob, their father. But Jacob got his name changed at, at, at a point in his relationship with God. And so they're known as the 12 tribes of Israel, of which Joseph is one. Now, just a few highlights of Joseph's life. When he was in chapter 37, you want to read about it, read chapter 37 of Genesis. It's a great chapter. Tell you really all the details that kind of got this whole thing started with Joseph and his brothers. But number one, verse one and two, it says that Joseph came back from his brothers spending time with them and he gave their father an evil report about them or a bad report. Now, it could have been, he just said, look, man, they're just messing around and sheep are wandering off and they're doing a bad job. But the word that's used there is evil and slander. So there is some element of what he said to his dad about his brothers that was not good. You know, if you've got a problem with someone, your job isn't to go run first to their boss or their authority. Your job is first to go to them. And he didn't, and that's what happened, and his brothers didn't like it. And also, verse 3 tells us clearly that his dad treated him as a favorite. So Joseph is the son of Rachel and Jacob, and um, Jacob's kind of a, a homebody, and uh, I don't know, he might have even been a computer nerd, I don't know. And uh, his other brother, he was born as a twin, Esau, was a hairy man, and he was a man's man, and he was a hunter. Come on, you hunters. Any hunters out there? Whoop, whoop. Wow, I got three people on my side. Doesn't matter. We have guns, so we can hold our own. Um, and his father clearly treats him as his favorite and, and gets him this fancy coat. We know it as a coat of many colors. And uh, because of that, his brothers hate him for it. They resent him. They resent the love his, their father gives to him above them. And uh, then he has a couple of dreams. Now, at this time, when he has the dreams, he's about 17. Now, I love teenagers. I love young people. I am so blessed to see this worship group up here, worshiping God so full of not only guys like Ed that have been behind that guitar for a, a while, but people like Haley and Zach, your drummer, younger people. I'll tell you, this church is headed in good direction and it's in good hands because of the way God is raising up the next generation. See, the name of our church is, is uh, East Coast Christian Center, but right underneath our name it says, building a life-giving church. Then these last two words are so important. That lasts. I knew the moment I planted that church that I would hand it over to my son someday. I knew that I needed to raise up generations that would care. We don't, I don't want to see something that lasts just through me. I want to see stuff that lasts through my children and my children's children and on. So he's 17 years old and he goes to his brothers after having this dream. And he tells them first, he says, look, I had a dream. And in my dream, you guys all bowed down to me. <laughs> I don't know what, what, how, you thought, how he thought that was going to go over. Reuben, his oldest brother, would have been in his 50s. 
You go to your 50-year-old brother and say, hey, I got news for you. You're going to bow down to me, dude. Uh, if I was Reuben, I would have flicked him right in the forehead. Or maybe even the nose. Get his attention. Sometimes you can do it on someone's teeth when they're not ready, and it'll, it'll shock them. Don't ask me how I know. And so uh, that doesn't go over real good, but he doesn't stop there. He goes to his mom and dad said, look, in my dream, the, my brothers all bowed down to me, and, and you did too. Now, that's complicated stuff here because we know that that dream was true. We even know that that dream was from God. And we even know that it was God's plan in the very beginning that Jacob would be, or excuse me, Joseph would be the one to carry sort of the, 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 the scarlet thread, the holy line of his family forward. And here he is next to youngest in the family. We know that's all true, but, but we still have to, in the middle of all that good God stuff, we still have to maintain and have relationships with those around us that don't tear them up, hurt them. So uh, his brothers decide, we hate you so much, we're going to kill you. Now that's a messed up family, people. So they decide to kill him, and Reuben, the oldest, who was the most responsible for his brothers, kind of got a plan, says, no, don't do that. Uh, let's just throw him in a pit. We'll, we'll sell him into slavery or something like that. And his idea is, his plan was to when, when the brothers weren't looking to get him out of the pit and to save him and, and get him back to his, to his dad. But before he did, when he came back, they had already sold him to, I think they were Midianites going to Egypt. So here we've got Joseph on a, on a, on a block standing naked. Naked and afraid, probably. Um, I don't watch that show, but I've seen it advertised. Um, <laughs> there he's standing on that block and the Bible says he was a very prosperous man for God was with him <laughs> he didn't have pockets how could he be a prosperous man the presence of God in his life so we know just Joseph was a God man he becomes a, a slave in Potiphar's house this guy named Potiphar who was a, uh, one of uh, Pharaoh's you know, executives and he ends up uh, that the anointing of God and the favor of God is on his life in such an incredible way that he rises to the top in Potiphar's house and he, come, he becomes in charge. The only problem was Potiphar's wife was uh, making goo-goo eyes at him. Is that something you guys understand? Goo-goo. She was looking at him like, mm, me and you, huh? And uh, he didn't want to do that. He said, look, Potiphar's been kind to me. He's, uh, there's nothing in his house I can't have accept you and it got to a point where one day she uh, called him in and and grabbed him and physically tried to accost him sexually and he ran out of the room leaving his coat in her hands and then she said look he tried to rape me well I don't know about you guys when I, if I got home and found out that the guy that I'd blessed and helped and put up in a high place had tried to rape my wife there would be trouble and there was. And he threw him in prison. And it was Pharaoh's prison. It was where the, the sort of, you know, I don't know what you'd call it, probably federal prison, you know, where you, you get the, your own TV and cell phone and all that. But anyway, it was a, it was a prison where the big shots went. And so he's in prison, but again, the anointing, the blessing in his life is so good, so powerful. 
that he rises to the top in the prison. He becomes a warden. And everything in the prison is under his control, and he just reports to the head of the prison. And while there, two guys were thrown in prison. One was the baker for the pharaoh, and one was the cupbearer. A baker obviously was, you know, one of the people who cooked and was in charge of, you know, the bakery goods that Pharaoh ate. And the other guy was really at Pharaoh's right hand. And there was nothing that came into Pharaoh's life that it didn't pass through this guy's hands first. If it was food, he would taste it. If it was wine, he would drink it. If it was anything at all, he was like the, the number one bodyguard and protector of Pharaoh. And so they're both in prison. They both had a dream. And they came to uh, Joseph and said, we had a dream. Do you know anybody that can interpret it? He says, oh, yeah, I can do it. And he uh, interprets their dreams. And one of them, he tells them, well, you know, you're going to have your head removed from you, and it's not going to be good. That was a baker. And he said, but the other one, you're going to be restored. Everything's going to work out. And then he said this to him, Genesis 40, 14. But remember me when it's well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this place. He uses the word me one, two, three, four times. Remember me. It's me. It's me. Help me. Help me. Help me. So off he goes. Now Joseph's in prison. Now let's back up just a little bit further. Jacob. And you heard some about Jacob already. His name means supplanter or deceiver, one who grabs the heel. We know that he uh, was not his father's favorite. Esau, the hunter guy, was, but he was his mother's favorite. And his mother and he schemed together to steal Esau's birthright. Now, what is that? That is, the oldest in the family received the, how could we say this? They received 50% of the father's estate. And all the other brothers shared in the 50% less left. And not only did you get 50% of the estate, you were in charge at that point. And so he stole Esau's birthright. And his birthright, and his, and his brother is so angry about it, he says, as soon as dad dies, you're going to die too. So he, he runs. And he runs to his mother's family. Now, Jacob, his father, the deceiver, and has all this brokenness in his life, he runs to his mother's household, who is uh, broken too. And he goes to work for his uncle, Laban. And Laban deceives him and tricks him and does all these things. But again, it's complicated. In the middle of all that related problems, Joseph is still blessed. His, his flocks and herds increase. And he does incredibly well, and he gets deceived so much that when he goes to get married to the woman he loved, uh, <laughs> he uh, switches. Laban, his uncle, switches his wife's, his uh, mom's brother, switches girls, and he marries Leah instead of Rachel. I don't know, you lift the veil and it's, what? That would be, that'd be weird. And so seven more years, he had to work to get the woman he loved. And then he left. Um, Joseph's family tree has some cracks in it. So does Joseph. Um, I believe God had some big things he wanted to deal with in Joseph's life. I think he, he, God loves to put his finger on the cracks in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. The, the family issues 
God wants to put his hand on those. God wants to, to, be, wants it, the, to accomplish a, a sort of end of that family destruction. I, we've seen it. You've seen it. You Divorces in a family, and this guy divorces, this son divorces, their grandson divorces, or the alcoholic, 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 or abusive, abusive, abusive. It's just this like, here it is, pass it on. And God wants to drive a stake in the ground. That stake looked like a cross. And say, we're, it stops here. No further. But some of the things I believe God needed to work out in, in Joseph was me, 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 me. Don't forget me. Pride. Hey, brothers, y'all going to bow down to me. Eh. Just stuff like that. The evil report. You know, Jacob was a usurper. That's what his name meant. Or, you know, one who takes someone else's place. And he pushed ahead of his brother Esau. But Joseph said, I'm going to push ahead of ten of you guys. All but his youngest brother, Benjamin. It's complicated. I believe Joseph experienced a transformation in those two years. Let me paint the picture. Let's say someone comes to you. It could be at work. It could be at school. It could be in, uh, in ministry. It can be in your family. It could be in any situation possible. And they come to you and you give them advice. Advice that, that promotes them. That gets them back in a, in a great place. That's what he did. He told this cupbearer man, you're going to be restored. And he told him all this. But don't, don't forget me when you're restored. But he does forget him. For two years more, Joseph is in prison. And the guy he helped doesn't remember him. Has anybody ever experienced that degree of betrayal? I think we probably have. And uh, during that time, I believe God did a work in Joseph's heart. He's trying to stop these cracks in their lives. The Bible says he must, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. I've heard a lot of sermons and stuff about dying to self and I don't know about you guys I don't do good whenever I focus on myself so the scripture actually says if you'll focus on Jesus and he will increase in your life the increase of Jesus in your life will push out see decrease in the Bible only works if you decrease because Jesus has increased you just beating yourself up does no good at all so finally the cupbearer remembers because Pharaoh has dreams and none of his sorcerers or you know advisors could tell him what the dream meant so he calls for Joseph Genesis 4, 41 14 then Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was hurriedly brought out of the dungeon when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes he came in before Pharaoh and the Pharaoh said to Joseph I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, I'm not completely sure how 17-year-old Joseph would have responded to that. He might have responded with, yep, I'm the man. But that's not the way Joseph responded. He responds with humility. He seems to be free of some of the family fractures and family ties that had bound him literally for much, much of his life. And, and it, he actually, his, this change in him reaches a crescendo 
a, a, a climax point when he later forgives his brothers for selling him into slavery for 13 years. That would be hard. But he did it. So back to Joseph, just for, or excuse me, Jacob, just for a minute. Jacob decides to leave Laban, come home. When he does, his wife steals the family idols, which, like I said, is complicated. What in the world is a, you know, a good Jewish girl doing with idols? But that's what she did. She stole them. She hid. She lied when Laban came and said, I didn't have them. And they were probably precious, made out of gold or something of that nature. And, uh. Weird family stuff. And so Jacob is going home, and as he's going home, he gets word back that his brother is going to meet him on the way. And that he's coming with 400 armed men. Now, I don't know about you guys. If I find out my brother, who swore to kill me, is coming to meet me with 400 soldiers, that would not make me happy. And it didn't make Joseph happy. So he excuse me, Jacob happy. He broke up his family, he sent some out in front, some more out, and finally he sent out Rachel and, and Joseph, who we're talking about. Joseph ends up breaking these family ties. And uh, his brother comes. And uh, it's, it's an amazing moment of mercy and God's grace. Esau, instead of coming and killing him, he comes and looks at all the family and the flocks, and he said, whose are all of these? And, and Joseph, uh, Jacob said, they're mine. And he hugs his brother Esau. There's mercy. There's forgiveness. Now, get this picture. There's a miracle of forgiveness going on over here. And the Bible says that afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near. And so Joseph and Rachel are here. Joseph's a boy. Rachel, his mom. And they've bowed down to Esau. And they watch this miracle of forgiveness. See, not all, only bad things come through our family tree. Sometimes incredibly good things come through our family tree. And... Because I believe one of the things that God used in Joseph to help him forgive his brothers is he saw one day so many years ago his uncle forgive his dad. It's powerful. And I believe that helped him and enabled him in God to forgive his brothers. Now you say, well, I don't have anybody in my background, my family like that. And I'm here to say, yes, you do. This is what it says in Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Say whole family. See, we're family. I'm family with you, and you had an older brother who forgave, hanging on a cross, turned to those who were crucifying, and said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what to do. How does God do that? See, God does not impute or count our sins against us. That's a, that's a miracle. The only reason I can be a child of God, the only reason you can be a child of God, is God decided not to count your sin against you because the wages of sin is death. So Jesus died in our place and paid the price, and God has overlooked all the wrong 
that's in you. You know what Esau had to do? He had to overlook the wrong that Jacob did to him. You know what Joseph had to do? He had to overlook the wrong that his brothers did to him. That can only happen through mercy and grace. See, at the foot of the cross, we all need to humble ourselves. And, and Joseph's humble response was an incredible response. You know, one time, years ago, I was washing my wa wife's car. Remember why? Okay. And uh, as I was washing her car, a guy from our church pulled over in the front, got out, and I could tell that when he got out of the car, uh-oh, this isn't going to be good. You know, some, some of us tell the whole story with our face. And he was mad as a hornet. And he came and he said, this, this, this is what you did. This is what you didn't do. This is what you should have done, blah, blah, blah. He went on, and when he got done, he was breathing a little bit. And I, and I turned to him, I said, you know what, Craig? His name is Craig. I said, you're right. And I'm capable of worse. I'm so sorry. And you know what he did? He overlooked the wrong that I'd committed in his life. We all get the opportunity to overlook a wrong and to be overlooked for a wrong. All God's asking is that we would give the same grace to the people around us that he gave to us. Now, please don't get me wrong. If you've been in a situation where, where the person who was doing things to you is not safe, I'm not telling you to go restore that relationship with an unsafe person. See, trust is built over time. Forgiveness is now instant. It's for something that happened in the past. Reconciliation is now. But trust is in the future. And only when that's built can some of that stuff be restored. But I'm here today. You know, this isn't easy stuff for me to talk about. Because uh, I can see it right now. Issues in my own family. Issues from decisions I made and things I said and how I said them. Cause fractures. Hurt people. When you're in authority, it's pretty easy to hurt people. But God, that's all I can say, but God. See, I grew up, my dad was an alcoholic and a liar. Probably the lying was the, the worst thing that, he, that I, I don't know, inherited from him. We would go fishing on Saturday mornings, almost every Saturday, and We'd fish, we'd go, you know, early six or seven, we'd be out there fishing, and about 10, my dad would pack up the station wagon. Anybody know what a station wagon is? Yeah, okay. Uh, pack up the station wagon, and we'd head for the bar. And then we'd spend the next five or six hours in the bar. My dad would be drinking, and I became a world-class skee-ball uh, operator. And I'd drink a Coke, and he'd drink. And then when we left, from a little boy, five on up till when I stopped doing it. I said I wouldn't do it anymore. About 12. My dad would say, now don't tell your mom. We were in the bar for five hours. We were fishing, remember? And so, it wasn't great. My, my, my dad told my mom he was 25 when he was 35 during World War II. She was a war bride. She's born and raised in England. And she didn't even find out he was 35 until she was on the Queen Mary sailing back to the United States to live here. And she found out leaving all her family and friends. She found out her husband was a liar about that. And then when she was three months pregnant with me, my dad had an affair with a woman 
and she became pregnant with a young man. And so for 21 years, my mom got to write a check every month to send to this other lady to pay for this child. I tell you, it cracks run deep. My dad was an alcoholic. I was a drug abuser and alcoholic for 10 years. But God, God is able to fill the cracks. See yourself on that rock, that clay that once clung to you to, to drown you and destroy you, now is actually sealing you to the rock, Christ Jesus. Those things that happened in my life, they just make me more merciful to others. Because I, I didn't deserve grace. I didn't deserve mercy. How much more should I, who have been forgiven much, forgive other people much? Bow your heads for just a minute. The good news is my dad got saved. Spent the last few years of his life really just studying the Bible and read through it numerous times in, in the two years that he was a Christian. One of my favorite pictures is behind my desk of my dad falling asleep on his bed with a big old giant print Bible on his chest. God's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think. We just need to be willing. We need to say, God, fill the cracks. Help me forgive. Help others forgive me. And restore unto me. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Now, I'm saying all this stuff, and the real key here is that without Jesus, none of, none of the good stuff would have happened in my life. You would not know my name. You would not meet me. You wouldn't have any recollection. I probably would not still be alive if Jesus wouldn't have rescued me. And I'm here today to say he wants to rescue you. If you're here today and you've never given your heart and life to Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. It's not hard. God made it easy. Jesus did all the hard stuff. And if you're here today, maybe, and you've just been wandering, you, you had given your heart and life to Christ before, but now you're just sort of wandering in the wilderness. You can come back. You can get, get right with God again. And it simply comes from you making a decision and really in many cases praying a prayer. So I want to lead you all in a prayer. Would you all pray this with me? Say, Father God. Now everybody in the room, come on with me. Father God, thanks for Jesus. I believe He died for me. I believe He rose from the dead. And I believe that Jesus is Lord. Jesus, be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want to follow you. I choose that one thing that's above all others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.